I haven't figured out by now, we are adjusting this morning, um, as most of us are. And, you know, Lance and I were just talking up there. And that, man, what a freeing thing uh, for us to realize that God is not looking for our perfection, but has received the perfection of Christ on our behalf so we can be imperfect. Amen? What a freeing thing for me this morning is for it to not go as we planned. That's a good thing. Because then that means it drives us in. Then that means we must trust in the Lord to do what he wants to do here and not what a few want to do here. Not what man wants to do here. And so I am happy to see each one of you here this morning. I'm happy that you made it. Uh, we are, I am literally, I'm running my sound and all the sound uh, that we hear this morning from an iPad. So praise God for technology. Right? Like, how awesome is that? Uh, and those of you who are watching in on Facebook are saying the same thing. Um, turn with me to Luke 24. And before we uh, dive in uh, this morning, uh, just a, a few announcements. If you look in your programs, uh, the sheets that should be on about every other, every third uh, chair, you'll see uh, an insert. And on that insert, we have a, uh, a few different announcements. We're starting up a, a Christ-centered cohort, which is um, just a, a study to gather with men and women to look at what it means to, uh, to live a Christ-centered life in all of life. So from relationships to work, uh, to who you are, to how you live, to what you do, what does it mean to be centered around the good news of the gospel revealed in Christ? What does it mean to center your life around Christ. And so if you're interested, you can see in that what to do to get signed up. Also, we have Bible reading plans on the Connect desk right outside these doors. Um, you can also hop on uh, your, the Bible app on your phone and get a, a Bible reading plan. But what better goal, what better thing, what wor more worthy of a thing uh, than to commit and be intentional in soaking and marinating in God's word in 2021? There is no better endeavor. There is no more worthy task. There is nothing more gratifying than soaking and sitting in as a body in his word. And so we have Bible reading plans. Um, if you're like, no, I, I don't need that because I got my own. Awesome. Right? Like, that's the goal. <laughs> so praise God uh, for that. And uh, yeah, it's pretty fitting that we have a snow like this uh, to begin 2021, right? Like, it just is. Um, I am I'm glad to be here uh, and, and to just sit and soak in all that God has done uh, in 2020 and all that he will do in 2021. And so uh, let's just dive in, man. I'm eager and anxious. Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. What, so everything that had just happened uh, in Christ in the resurrection in the empty tomb. And so verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they, weren't kept, they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Verse 19, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God. And all the people, the chief priests and our rulers, handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Verse 22. In addition, some of our women amazed us. 
They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companies, or some of our companions, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets, all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. This is the word of the Lord. And what we what, what we're focusing on in 2021, as, as we just, we, we sit and we soak in, what does it mean to be discipled by Jesus? What does it mean for you individually, each one of us, to be discipled by Jesus, to learn from, learning from Jesus himself, first-handedly, what does it look like for each one of you and I to actually be discipled by Jesus? That is our focus in 2021. And it, and it can be, it's never less than soaking and marinating in his word. So we want to encourage you to get in a Bible reading plan, to sit in his word, to study his word with other brothers and sisters. See, 2020 has shaken us, has it not? It has rocked us to, look at this, I'm turning myself up now. It has rocked us to our core. It has revealed some things to us. It, it has forced us into something new, hasn't it? And turn, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. Stay planted in Luke 24 because we're going to get there. But 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> and what we see is that we, in God's word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have all that we need. Now, we must, church, we have to be willing to ask this question. Do we really believe that? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. And, and then, if you're, if you're there, turn with me to Second Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture, all of it. So 2 Peter 1, 3, and 2 Peter, or 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All, we have all that we need for a life of living in union with and communion with and abiding in Jesus. And it's never found outside of his word. It's found within his word, from his word, abiding in his word. That is the pathway to an intimate life with Jesus. Now, what we have to be willing to address then is the drift in putting that on man and program and church. Let me, let me just make sure this is clear. No man, no church, no program, no book, nothing and no one else will give you what is available in Christ and him alone. Nothing and no one and no church. Not even this church. See, what can happen though is we can drift into 
relying on programs and bodies and institutions and organizations and church to give you what only Christ can give you. Have we not? We, we make decisions of whether or not we're going to journey with the church because, well, I'm just not being fed. Or I'm just not, I'm just not feeling like I'm connecting. And we, we make the, and those are good and right, and don't hear me devaluing those things. I, I hear that. But what's happened is we've misplaced expectations and we've put that on man and church to be something that only Christ can be for you. See, there, there is this, this drift that we have. See, if we were to, and this is the, the question we are answering in, in 2021 and beyond, I hope, I hope we always ask this question, is if all we had was this book, if all we had was God's word to us, in, I mean, fully authoritative, inerrant in every way, our source of life, and nothing less. If all we had, and we were to be on an island by ourselves with no expectations of what church is, no past experiences, no theological camps, and we were to ask the question, what does church look like? According to his word, what does it actually look like? What would it feel like? What would people actually experience? If we were just to be faithful to this word, not to the cultural expectations of what it means to be a church, <laughs> not in the Western evangelical mold of doing church, but what does the Bible say about who we are as the bride of Christ? We are in the process of answering that question, but here's a few things that we know we want to walk away thinking, that church is a bunch of programs to offer. <laughs> we know that's not church. The Bible doesn't allow us we know that it's not a two-hour event on a Sunday morning. Sometimes two and a half, depends on who's preaching. We know that the church isn't a building. We know that the church isn't an organization. That the church doesn't even exist to serve its people by their wants, needs, and preferences. <laughs> the church exists to serve God and Him alone. And by product and implications, it serves its people. How cool is that? <laughs> See, and the church is not as complicated as we make it to be. You understand that? I mean, we've just muddied the water when it comes to church, haven't we? We've made it so what it's not in, according to his word. See, we would see not an organization, but an organism that's living and active under God's authority according to his word. Turn with me to 1 Peter. Stay planning in Luke 24. I promise we'll get there. But chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Verse 9. But you, talking to God's chosen people, God's people set apart for his glory. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a chosen race, a, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is what we must see. This is who we are. This is who God makes us to be. That that the Bible doesn't, so back to Luke 24, the Bible doesn't prescribe our methods. It does give us our source and our life and our power of our methods and our motive for the methods, but it does not prescribe our methods. 
How it expresses itself can look many different ways and feel in many different ways. But at the center of that shape of what we're doing and why we're doing it must be Jesus. If it's anything or anyone else but Jesus that's central to what we're doing here, we don't have a church, we have a club. And quite honestly, you could have a lot more fun at other clubs if that's what we're doing here. Church begins and ends with Jesus, who he is and what he's done. It's all about him. And if it begins to be about something or someone else, then it stops being the church that God as the Father has created it to be. Amen? Church begins and ends with Jesus. Who he is and what he's done on our behalf. He lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve to die so that we would not come here and say, how awesome is PCC or how awesome is that message, but how awesome is the Savior of that church of that message. So here's what we want you to hear this morning. That your elders, your elders, your leaders, are so sorry that in any way you have felt we want you to worship PCC over Jesus, the Savior of PCC. We are so sorry that in any way we have put off, myself included, any way that I have and anyone up here or any elder here has put off that we want you to come to us as the source of your life, as the source of your discipleship, as the source of your growth. We have zero power to do any of that in you. Only Christ does. So hear us. We are so sorry. And we want to stay as far away from you putting that on us and to point you to Jesus, stay planted in Luke 24. We'll get there. Turn with me to John 3. What does it mean for us to be discipled by Jesus? Well, first off, it means that, that we understand that the church cannot save you. Jesus can. The church cannot grow you. Only Jesus can. And look at This is about John the Baptist in chapter 3, verse 30. This is John pointing and saying, He, Jesus, must become greater, and I must become less. See, how we, how we got to this place in the first place of putting expectations on the church or putting expectations on a pastor or putting expectations on a preacher to give you what only Christ can give you is we've allowed that to happen. Both ways. And instead of saying, no, 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 I'm not the point, he is. We have said, yeah, look at me. And here's John the Baptist, and he says, he must become greater, I must become less. He must increase, I must decrease. See, if if God is going to actually do a new thing here, and what, what if, let me just put it like this, all right. If we were to show up, Ashley, Chad, Lance, I walk in these doors, and you guys are all closing your Bibles, you're shutting off the lights, the sound machine is, is being turned off, and you're like, I don't know what you guys are doing, but we already worshiped our king and heard from his word. How do you think we would respond? Like, no, 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 you can't. You can't do that. No. You know how we respond? Yes! It's the whole point! 
right? Now, what can happen is, oh, we can't do that. We, you know, it's, it's got to come from, no, 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 you can do that. And we pray that you would do that one Sunday morning. Like, show up here at 8, turn everything on, worship and hear from his word, and then walk out of here. And you know what? You guys can say, hey, we'll keep the stuff on for you. You guys can do your own thing. And you know what we would do? We'd worship here for hours, man. See, what, what happens, though, is we say, oh, no, no, you can't do that. And, and instead of saying, Are you sure? We say, no, 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 man, man has made this to where it can only come from a few, not, not from us. Where do we read that? Where do we, where do we see that? Where are we being influenced by that? See, look at Numbers 11. Again, stay in Luke 24. I promise you we're going to get there. I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. See, and, and what, what we must, see, what we must see, actually, I don't have time for that. Stay in, stay in Luke 24. I don't have time for that. So what, what we must see is we must be willing to ask the question, and it, and it keeps me up, and then we're going to start unpacking here. The worst case scenario is if this church didn't exist, would you be equipped? Would you individually be equipped to have an intimate, abiding relationship with your King Jesus? If this church did not exist, would you, I'm asking you, I'm not saying that person beside you, I'm asking you, and even you kids, would you have all that you need? You're, you're owning it. You're, you're walking it. You're consuming the word for yourself and not, not hearing the word out of somebody else's mouth who has already consumed it. You know what I mean? Are you individually personally abiding in Christ in his word, or are you experiencing him through another's walk? See what I'm saying? Are, are you, is your relationship with Christ primary or is it secondary? Is it firsthand or is it secondhand? We have to be willing to ask this question, what better goal or what more worthy goal in 2021 than to actually own your walk with your king? Can you honestly answer this question? Yes, I don't need a pastor. I don't need a church. I don't need a leader. I don't need a book to grow in my walk with Jesus. I have all that I need to live a life of godliness. I have all. I'm owning it. It's my walk with Jesus, not Derek's walk with Jesus that I'm feeding off of because he's pretty passionate and he's fiery and he gets me pumped up and I walk out of here feeling better. See, what, what can happen, and it's no different than what happened between uh, Paul and Apollos in, in 1 Corinthians 5. You can go there later. He says, no, 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 it's not, it's not us that produce the growth. It's God. All we're doing is planting. All we're doing is, is abiding. All we're doing is staying faithful. He's the one re- producing the results. Worship him, not me. So as we move forward, this is what we're saying, and you may say, Derek, it sounds like you're pushing people away from the church, and I would say, exactly, thank you. That is the whole point, that we make better pointers than the point. This is how we move forward. This is how we even, even the, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 5 says, you all should be teachers by now, but you're still on spiritual milk. That's a problem. You're still consuming, and you're not owning, and so now I have to feed you spiritual milk, but by now you should already be teachers. 
And it even goes back with Matthew and Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. Look at how Jesus commissions us and sends us. He even he tells us this exact same thing. All authority, verse 18 of chapter 28 of Matthew, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 20. The commission to all brothers and sisters, all believers, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you to teach, to do. Teaching them. So you're saying every one of us should be teachers by now? Yes. If you're in Christ, you are called to be a teacher. Now, now there's individual gifts within the body that plays itself out uniquely in the body, but at the core of who we are, we should all be able to teach the good news of the gospel, to teach our kids, to train up others in the good news of the gospel. So, here's what I want to look at this morning. In Luke 24, verse 13 through 27, and, and even beyond that, look at the, the flow here of how Jesus operates Here's these two disciples, verse 13. They were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And if you, if you know your Bible, you know what just had happened, right? Jesus has risen. The tomb is empty. They go back to look, and there's nothing there but his linens folded up. They're talking about this, verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself, Jesus himself, underline, highlight, circle, came to them. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk? They stood still, their faces downcast. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked, are you the only one from visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know that things have happened here in these days? Jesus already knew what had happened. He's not asking so he could find out. He's asking so he can reveal. What things? He wants them to tell, he, Jesus wants them to tell them about himself and what had happened. How cool is that? Like, where are you at? Are you reading, right, the Torah? Are you understanding prophecy? Are you seeing fulfillment or not? And see, what, what happens is they've relied for so long on the priest to do this work. They've relied on for so long on the priest to consume the message for them, to chew on the message for them, and then to give it to them as a second-handed account. And here it is. Jesus is going to them and say, I want a first-hand account from what do you see and what do you say? I don't care what your priests say. I want to know what you say. See, there's this accepted form of slavery in the church that we, as the church, want you to rely on us to give you what only Jesus can give you. We like it. And so we funnel all of these things into the body of the church. We say, no, 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 pour everything you got, your time, your energy, your money, your resources, into the body, and we'll know what to do with it. And here's the reality. The gospel flips that upside down and says, no, 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 give away your time. Give away your money for the good of the community, and Jesus will know what to do with it. We don't know what we're doing. See, there's this accepted form of slavery of, of the church accepting the reliance and the dependency of the people instead of pushing it away. It enslaves us, and it beats us up, does it not? Not only those involved as the lay people, but also those involved as pastors, elders, and leaders. It beats us up, and there's a weight and an expectation that's just not there in the Bible that we put on ourselves. 
It's almost like Egypt. And if you know the story of Egypt, and if you don't, let's just turn back to Exodus. Stay planted. Exodus. And we'll just, we'll just pick up in Exodus 14. There's this accepted form of slavery. See, biblical Egypt served both. At one time, served as a refuge for the people, and then all of a sudden turned into a bondage place for the people. So, so for Abraham and, and Sarai and Sarah, it was a place of refuge where they got away from the famine. But then, right, the Pharaoh comes in in Exodus 1 and has no idea who Joseph is, if you remember that. And then it turned into, they're getting too big. They're growing too fast. We need to do something about it. So bondage happens. Servanthood happens. Servitude happens. And then suddenly the picture changes. Verse Exodus 14 then, it leads to the the plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea and the plagues. And the people are rescued by a deliverance that only God can give them by parting the Red Sea. So they're free from slavery. God has saved them. Much like you who have put your hope in Christ, right? The waters and the enemies were chasing after you and God, through the parting of a Red Sea of some sort, metaphorically, saved you through the miracle of Christ and the, risen, and the resurrection and you've put your hope in Him and you are now free from the bondage of your sin, from the bondage of your shame, from the bondage of your guilt. But yet, look at how the people respond in chapter 16, verse 2. So here they are. In the desert, verse 2, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the land, by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we at least sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So, so let me just make sure this is clear. They would rather be enslaved in Egypt eating meat than free in the wilderness with God. They would rather, just, just play this out for a moment, slavery in Egypt with meat pots is better than God in the wilderness with manna and quail and trust. If only we could just go back to Egypt, then we will be fine, and at least we'll know that we're going to have some meat. At least we'll be comfortable. If only we can go back to Egypt. They were thinking that this moment in the wilderness was an interruption and not a disruption. You know the difference? Interruption says, let's go back to the way things were. It's going to end, and once it does, it's going to go back to how it was. A disruption says, we'll never be the same. We'll never go back. Why would we want to? They didn't realize that God was about ready to rain down manna and give them quail. They didn't realize, they didn't trust that God would do what he said he was going to do, rescue them and provide for them. They were enslaved to comforts and safety. The problem of this problem is that the people of God are never called to be comfortable, but rather they are called to trust in the Lord even when they're not. The goal of the Christian life is not independence and comfortable living. I think we've missed this. The goal of a Christian life is dependence on the work of God in Christ and risk-taking for His kingdom. Why can we live our lives for Yahweh? Why can we do that? Because he's worthy of our hope. He's worthy of our lives. Because he's worthy of all we have and so much more. Your walk, what would it look like for you in every area of your life to give over to being discipled by Jesus and do what he says? Will it be comfortable? No. Will it be worth it? Yes. You see what I'm saying? 
I think we've created this false dichotomy of the Christian life in the Western world. Well, I'm going to follow Jesus as long as he doesn't step on my toes or make me uncomfortable. Well, you're missing the entire point of following Jesus. You're missing the entire point if you're following Jesus up to the point of being comfortable. He doesn't call you to be comfortable. He calls you to be dependent and to trust him even when you're not safe. What would it look like for your walk with Jesus to inform your marriage, to inform your relationships, to inform your parenting, to inform your work, to inform your money? Yes, I said money. And some of you are like, don't you, don't you dare touch my money. The problem with that is that Jesus spoke about money more than we'd like to acknowledge. Eleven of the forty parables were about wealth, possessions, and materials. What does it look like for us to be discipled by Jesus, informed by Jesus, taught by Jesus, even when it comes down to our bank account? Church, that is where we're going. For him to have a say in how we operate in our marriage. For him to have a say in how we parent our kids. For him to be able to step on our toes and say, yeah, your motive in that is off. Are we willing to press into Jesus in that kind of way. Are you willing? You can't feed off of my willingness or somebody else's willingness to do this. It must be yours. The goal is that we would, would do what Jesus calls us to in Matthew 16. So turn with, Matthew six, to, with me to Matthew 16. Verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, here we are, that Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Whoever wants to, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, truly, some of you are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What is Jesus saying here? That following Jesus is costly. It's not safe. And most definitely isn't comfortable. That our instinct would be to say, but at least we had flesh meat pots in Egypt. Especially now in, in light of a global pandemic, as we look into a new year, we would say, but I just wanted to go back to how it was. It's comfortable for me. Do you see that? It's so easy to, to want to go back to how church was. Thinking that this, this whole... COVID-19 and pandemic was just an interruption so that we can just get back to how it was, how things were. I like that. I miss that. And we would miss that God wants to do a new thing in light of this. We would miss that God wants to break us down so deeply and shatter all that we have created so that he can build up what he wants to create. Do you want that here? It's only going to come when we all collectively own our walk with Jesus. See, 
Jesus says in John 12, verse 24, Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it, loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So what if the way that we have perceived church is that seed that needs to die, and what if there's a better way? So what does this mean then? Because Lance unpacked for us last week that there is a narrow gate, and to assume that we are on that narrow path and that narrow way is actually missing the entire point. <laughs> what does this mean for us? Luke 24. Jesus, in verse 19, asks the disciples to tell him about him. Look at verse 19. What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God. And all the people, the chief priests and our rulers, handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But, look at verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. <laughs> and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. Verse 25. How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Stop right there. What does this mean for us? It means that we have to be willing for Jesus to step on our toes. It means that we have to let Jesus say some things to us that make us squirm in our seat a little bit. That makes it, mm, my flesh doesn't really like that very much. But I'm going to trust it. And I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to trust that your ways are better than my ways. Remember last week, Lance brought up that he went, God went to Cain and said, if you do what is right, it will go well for you. He, he's telling us this, church. He's saying, I want, to st I want to change you. I'm going to step on your toes. Because if, listen to me, if Jesus doesn't step on your toes, then you're following a Jesus that you've created, not the Jesus of the Bible. If Jesus doesn't make you squirm, like, I can't believe he would say that. Then, then you are missing the entire point of what it means to walk in the ways of Christ. The beatitude life, the way up is the way down. The way to life is the way to die. Is to die. The way to power is to lay down. The way to serve is to wash people's feet. So he says, Oh, you, how foolish are you? Verse 25. And how slow to believe all, all the prophets have spoken. He's, <laughs> they should know this. Right? Is what he's saying. You should know this. You should be able to put the pieces of the puzzle together. But you can't apart from me. <laughs> Because I am the missing puzzle piece that connects all of it together. What the prophets have said and what I have done, who I am, pieces those things together like glasses make things put to sight. So here's Jesus. And he's stepping on their toes. And look, verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning, verse 27, with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. Now, we don't know what Jesus said here. 
We don't know. We don't know what Jesus said in verse 27, that he explained to them what he was said in all scriptures concerning himself, but we do know he did a Bible study with them. Because <laughs> they were living the New Testament, weren't they? they? They had the Old Testament to go back to, and he unpacked the Old Testament. Maybe he took them to Isaiah 53 and said, I am the suffering servant who is pierced for your transgressions. Maybe he took him to Zechariah 3. Maybe he took him even further back and said, I am the Passover lamb. I am the goat. I am the perfect lamb, spotless in every way, who was slain on your behalf. I am the temple. I am the tabernacle. You, you don't know what he's saying, but you do know that he unpacked all of Scripture concerning who? Verse 27, himself. See, Jesus taught them. He, the question we then have to ask is, he came to them, he walked with them, he talked with them, and he taught them. The question we have to ask is, is this same thing in Christ available to us today? Or do we have to live through a few professionals or experts in order to experience this in our life today? Can't Jesus walk with us, talk with us, teach us, shape us today? The answer? Yes. These few traveling on the road to Emmaus are not the first to be discipled by Jesus. If you look at Matthew 4, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were at work when Jesus called them. If you look at Matthew 9, Matthew the tax collector had Jesus in his home to eat with him. A tax collector. They're starting to get the idea. Fishermen and tax collectors. They hated each other. And then he called 12 disciples from different backgrounds, different ages, into a direct relationship with him. They learned from him. They walked with him. They saw Jesus. Can you just let this go for a moment? They saw Jesus tired. They saw him weary. They saw him lonely. They saw him struggle. They saw him in anguish. John 11, verse 35, two words, Jesus wept. They saw him weep. Can, can you imagine? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying, man, that would be really cool. I'm just saying, I'm right now in this moment, just imagine seeing the face of Jesus with tears coming down. Can you just imagine that he was in so much turmoil and so much stress that he started to, to sweat blood? Can you just picture that for a moment? What they experienced here is Yes, it is special, and it is unique, and it is amazing. But, but, here's the problem. We find ourselves jealous of these first disciples. We think, if only I were discipled by Jesus himself, then the things in my life would be different. I would be more bold in my witness. I would give away more of my money. I would love my wife and my family more fiercely. I would be less reliant upon relationships to give me what only Jesus can give me. I would be closer to God. But see, this is the shift we have to make. They were not the lucky few who were born at the right time in the right point of history. Quite the opposite. We have lost sight of this beautiful thing that in reality that Jesus has taught us. We have replaced Jesus with a church or an institution or a program or a book or a pastor. We've said, no, no, no. I, in order for me to be close to God, I need someone to help me be close to God. You have that someone in Christ. He can teach you. He can shape you. He can walk with you. He can comfort you. He can guide you. He can mold you. See, Jesus in Matthew 28, stay in Luke 24, Matthew 28, back to the Great Commission. Look at, look at verse 20. In teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, 
And look, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wait, wait, hold on. Jesus, you're going to go with me wherever I go? Yes. You're going to be with me wherever I do? Yes. You're going to be with me. You're going to be there helping me, guide me, coaching me through what I'm doing. Yes. Jesus actually said, it is better for me to go so that I can bring my helper. John 16. Turn there. Rather than me just saying it. Verse 7. I I pray that you are seeing this. But very truly, these are the words of Jesus. I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's saying that the spirit in you is better than me beside you. He's saying I will be with you everywhere, wherever you go. Go and do this boldly because you have me. You need nothing and no one else to do what I want to do through you. You have all you need. Even in Luke 24, so if you, if you just go there, go back to that main section that, I, that we were in. In Luke 24, he even says in another area in verse 49, wait, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But look, wait in this city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He's even said, don't go until the Holy Spirit comes because you can't do anything without him. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. So what was so important about the Holy Spirit that even the Great Commission could wait? How could Jesus assure his disciples that it would be better to have the Spirit in them than for Jesus to remain by them? It's a personal, active, walking relationship with God. It's always been the plan. From the beginning, Adam and Eve in the cool of the night, walking with God. Egypt, or Israelites in the desert, What were they led by? Pillar of cloud and fire. Relationship with God. He didn't have to do these things. He could have just given them a map. But he did. He wanted his presence to be with them. That's why Jesus is called Emmanuel. God with us. Now through the Holy Spirit then, God is supposed to be more present with us than ever. Living in the presence of God is an absolutely essential thing to a thriving life of the believer. The primary way we do this is through his word. Now I don't have enough time. Write down Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14 and verse 20. And what you would see is that there are three men who have gone before you and their faith cannot save you. Listen to me. If you're a child, your mom and dad's faith cannot save you. It can put kindling around the fire. They can bring you up in the ways you should go. But your faith must be your faith. You cannot rely on your parents' faith to save you. You must have a personal relationship with God the Father. And the only way to do that is through Jesus the Son. And then keep going. Adults, your pastor's faith can't save you. Your mentor's faith can't save you. That person on a screen can't save you. That person who wrote books can't save you. Only Jesus can save you, and you must own it for yourself. You can't live by second-handed chewing. You must chew on it for yourself. So, a first-hand experience of living in the presence of God, not through someone else. Do not settle for a Sunday morning Christianity. Listen to me. Do not settle for Sunday morning Christianity. It doesn't work. 
Jesus came not to change your Sunday mornings only, but to change all of your life, every minute of your life. He didn't come to just change the end of your life. He came to change you right here, right now, in this moment. He's living and active. Because of Jesus, we now have this living, active, personal relationship with God, our Father. No man, no church, no program, no secondary book can do what Christ can do through his word. So, here's what we need to answer. How would your relationship with God change if you saw his presence with you as a real person? How would your relationship with God change if you actually saw his presence with you as a real person? What would, what if you understood that feeling of conviction is actually his voice? What if you saw sin not as so much of breaking of a law, but as grieving someone? How would your walk with Jesus change if you daily consistently sat in his word, reading them, not as a daily coffee cup verse, all right. Not as a, although that's good and right, it's there. But it, you actually sat there and say, what is this text not saying about me, but what is this text saying about my God? And how does that change me? Our goal here then is that each one of you who call PCC your home would say this statement, do I have to have PCC in order to grow in Christ in my relationship with him? No. Do I get PCC? as a gift of grace to come alongside of me in my walk in order to grow into him in every way? Yes. Do I have to have it? No. Do I get to have it? Yes. Do I have to have that sermon on a Monday morning from somebody in Dallas, Texas in order for me to grow? No. Do I get to have it? Yes. Do I have to have this book that I'm reading that's not the Bible to help me grow in every way up in Christ? No. But do I get to have it? Yes. Do you see what I'm saying? That we have replaced the primary with secondaries. And we've said, if I don't have these things, I can't grow in my walk with Jesus. And instead, it should be, I get these things to grow in my walk with Jesus. I don't need them. We desire for each one of you to experience directly, firsthand, an active relationship with Christ. This means you must own it for yourself and not experience it through another person. See, what Jesus did for the disciples, he can do for us if we let him. If we commit to learn from him, if we commit to listen to him, if we commit to be led by him, if we commit to be changed by him, we can all know what it means to be discipled by Jesus. So it's not what we can learn from Jesus, it's that we can continue to learn from Jesus. Hebrews, turn with me to Hebrews 4 as we end. <clears throat> and we're going to sing and float out of here. <clears throat> Man. My pages are sticking together. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Have your eyes on verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
the living, active, breathing, sharper than any two-edged sword of God, came to live the life we never could, die the death that we deserve, conquer Satan's sin and death through the power of the resurrection so that we can have an intimate, everlasting, every minute of every day, abiding relationship with him. You need no program. You need no man. You need no book. You have all that you need in the abiding word of Christ. So church, let's commit in 2021 to read the abiding word of Christ. Let's commit to not be taught by man, but be taught by Jesus. Are you kidding me? We have the words of Christ. Let's learn from him. And let's be okay with him ruffling our feathers a little bit. Yeah? So, let's pause 30 seconds as we do to just receive. If he's living and active, he's speaking. He's going to move, and maybe not audibly. He's going to move through his word. And what is what was just preached through his word? He's going to move and shape us. So what is he saying to you? What act of obedience is he calling you to? How do we respond? One way is worship, which we'll do. Another way is listening, which we'll do. So 30 seconds of listening. So, Father, we're here listening to what you want from us. Jesus, you're near. You came to us, and you continue to come to us, walking with us. You always have been, and you always will. So, Father, help us to see your Son, not just as the one who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, but as the one who conquered the grave and is actively involved in our lives right now. Spirit of the living God, open our eyes be discipled by Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.